Hello and welcome to Right Now. I'm Stephen Kent. We've got a great show for you today. We're talking CPAC, porn stars, Charlie Kirk's forehead, and crime. At least three of these things anyways. Uh, we've got YouTuber and man on the street, Nuance Bro, joining the show. And Brad Palumbo is here today in studio. Hello, Bradley. Hey, good to be with you. Yeah, you're back. You're back. Uh, did you watch any of the shuttle launch this morning for Blue Origin? No, I didn't. I just saw people responding to it on Twitter. And it, it amazes me how upset people can get over other people just doing their own life. You mean you mean Bezos? Right. Firing the so the socialists are just extremely mad that somebody would go and do that. It was really cool. It was cool, but I wouldn't do it. I was asked this. I was asked this in an interview yesterday. I wouldn't absolutely not go on a spaceship. I'm sorry. Never. I'm staying at home with my dog and my couch. It looked like a really rocky ride, so they're going to have to work on that over the course of a couple of years. But we'll talk about that later because I actually wanted to get that to that at the end of the show. But before we get going, it would be great if you'd hit that subscribe button for our YouTube channel, follow us on social media at RightlyAJ, pretty much across all the channels, or tune into our podcast. You can catch it on any of your podcatchers. Uh, and now there is even more reason than ever to join us because Gothics is joining right now. Gothics is a content creator, show host, and commentator. She's a Twitch exile who found her people and a megaphone on YouTube. And she's got her own thing going on over at Gothics TV. That is her YouTube channel. But she's going to be joining the Right Now family for Cancel This, a weekly look at the latest sort of cancel culture stories, our decline of redemption across society, and why these stories matter. It's something Gothics knows a lot about from personal experience, and she's going to be here in the studio in a couple of weeks to talk about it. But for now, her first video is already up, so do check it out. Um, there's also more. We are going to be rolling out a newsletter. It's called Unfettered. Uh, thank you, New York Times, for that wonderful just silver platter of a name. Uh, there's going to be details in the newsletter on our latest episodes and a deeper dive into the topics that we're discussing, some political ramblings from myself, and a look at what we've uh, that we're fired up about this week, all the stuff that we're going to be talking about, maybe what movies we're watching, that kind of stuff. The first edition is going to be out tomorrow. You got to catch them all. Pokemon! <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that I'm funny whenever I, I write these things, and uh, it's important that at least I believe it. And everyone else will just laugh <laughs> awkwardly. Yeah, that's, that's the whole point of the show. All right, well, let's get right into it. Uh, we've got Nuance Bro here. Uh, he is a Texas-based YouTuber and Gonzo-style interviewer. Mr. Bro, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Steve. I like how that, is Mr. A... Bro. Is, is that is that how you like to go? Uh, sometimes people say nuance, nuance, bro, Mr. Bro. bro well, I, I, I stick I with told. Mr. Bro. I saw his uh, his interview uh, with uh, Jesse Lee Peterson from oh God. a couple of years ago, uh, and that was probably like peak awkward for just like, hello, nuance, bro. Would you like to be called nuance, bro? <laughs> uh, that was that was a special one. What was what was that experience like? It was uh, it was interesting. I got to arm wrestle him. I was actually scared he might have that old man strength and beat me, but you know, I I, I prevailed. What is his deal? Is he like a like a, a radio broadcaster only, or did he like come from like bodybuilding or something? The dude is just ripped and scary. Uh, 
you know, I had so many questions. You go, he has this beautiful <laughs> studio. I don't know where the money comes Where's from. The money I don't know. It's, it's like a out. super fringe, no small idea. thing, right? Like, <laughs> well, that's what I thought. Fallen State TV, it, like it kind of seems like a friend sort of thing, but it's like really nicely put together. Okay, I guess he's got he's got a real friends in big staff, places. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's one of those bizarre yeah. mysteries of the internet. But, anyways, you're a you're a busy guy. I I'm familiar with your channel because you travel the country, going to conferences, rallies, student events, Antifa brawls on the streets, and and capturing a little bit of what's going on. Well, probably not Antifa brawls, but Antifa protests on campus and stuff like that. Uh, you were in CPAC. Uh, this past week for the the Dallas edition of CPAC 2021, uh, what were you seeing out there? Any any major highlights from your trip? Yeah, I mean, we saw Caitlyn Jenner, who's allegedly running for governor, and it probably has nothing to do with a reality TV show or anything like that. Um, saw Matt Schlapp, of course. I got to talk to Louie Gohmert for a bit. Um, yeah, all, all kinds of people. You don't take the Caitlyn Jenner run seriously? You're not, not sure she's really going for it? I mean, isn't she going to like Australia for a yeah. month? Uh, She's going on Big Brother shoot. Australia for two weeks in the middle of the campaign. Who does that in the middle really? of the campaign, like right the elect the recall elections, like September? So it's just ridiculous. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I suppose the evidence in that was that Caitlin wouldn't stop and talk to you uh, just about anything that she wants to do for the state of California. And typically, even if you're running for governor, you would stop and you would just say at least like your your boilerplate speech about what's wrong with California and how you're going to fix it. Goodbye. She didn't have anything to say. Frankly, I thought that was the most politician-y thing about her was to do exactly that, not answer any of my questions, have it all controlled by her people. Yeah, apparently she's not been giving out interviews to almost anybody. But I will say I she has put out a couple campaign ads and stuff about like lockdowns and high taxes and them destroying the state. And I think they're pretty compelling just if you just look at the ads. But I, the way she's running the campaign is pretty questionable so far, I think. Was it CPAC where she was getting kind of like heckled and uh, and booed? recently at an event. I remember seeing that in the news that she was having some trouble at a conference, but I don't know if it was CPAC Dallas or it was CPAC in Florida. Yeah, there was one particular incident of like one guy who the clip went viral was saying, calling her Bruce and things like that. But as far as, I mean, there wasn't much uh, aside from that from my understanding. So you've been going to these conferences and student rallies within the kind of conservative libertarian world for many years at this point. I guess I just wanted to ask you, like, as someone who's been on the ground talking to everyday people and sort of the stars of the movement alike, what is your perception of what has changed and what has stayed the same in the recent years? So I guess like since Trump, right? Since 2016. Sure. I think uh, these movements tend to go through trends. I mean, you, you see it with the left when it went through with like the Barack Obama moment, everyone worshiping him and stuff. Now it's going through a bit of a more like, oh, the socialism stuff is kind of cool. With the right, it went more from like, okay, the Ron Paul, libertarian, Rand Paul, Ted Cruz moment was kind of cool in 2010, 2012 with like the Tea Party and things like that. Um, and now it's gone more to a sort of more nationalist, populist, right sort of uh, moment. Uh, and that's kind of what's happening uh, yeah. at the moment. So I want to ask you about that because that's something that I definitely see, right? You see some of the most popular figures like Tucker Carlson on Fox News, like you've got Senator Josh Hawley. But I do think that change, that sea change is overrepresented. It's overrepresented in the kind of Twitter echosphere, the 
political world, the most actively involved people are really into this. But how much of an actual sea change with the typical Republican voter do you think has occurred in that sense? Sure. I don't think the typical Republican voter has changed all that much, but I think they're actually starting to meet the Republican voter where they've been all along. I don't think the typical Republican voter has really had sort of libertarian type values where they're like, oh, we care about corporate uh, freedom and low taxes and regulation. What do you call the Tea Party then? Uh, the Tea Party, you know, it, it, I mean, it died. It, it only lasted for, lasted for about two years and it was in response to Barack Obama and Obamacare and things like that. But it, it didn't last all that long. And a lot of there was also a lot of social conservative so, social conservatism built into that with people like Michelle Bachman and uh, folks like Glenn Beck at the time. Uh, Glenn Beck wasn't always libertarian. He came, became more libertarian over the years. But he is yeah. all over the map that Mr. Beck. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of take like the, the back and forth here because the the Tea Party movement to me has always represented a moment where the conservative movement, like the grassroots, was telling us one thing about what they feel, what they believe, what they would like to see happen in Washington. And then you had sort of the, the think tank establishment move in to try to channel that energy into a suite of policies that were pretty disconnected from what those people actually want. Like I, I worked in that world for a little while and, and you know, blessed be like occupational licensing would be a great thing to reform, but like that's not what people are crying out on the streets about having, uh, having change. And I, I think that's like, that is exactly an example of what the Tea but Party I, I guess I'm less certain. Diverges. I guess that I'm less certain this is a sea change. I think it's more a tale of opposition versus majority in the government, right? When Obama was in charge, all of a sudden Republicans were very concerned with the debt, fiscal conservatism. And now I think during the Trump years, there was absolutely this populist nationalist turn and because they had to govern and because they realized a lot of them didn't have much of an ideological foundation to begin with. Love or hate Trump. He's not a, you know, a deeply policy schooled thinker and an ideologue. He's all over the place. But I think you did see that. But now since Biden's been in office, Republicans are constantly returning to talk about inflation, taxes, big government, already even the national debt. And obviously they're very hypocritical about it, but they're starting to talk about it again. It's exhausting. I think, so I guess what I would say, Mr. Bro, is just that maybe it's not so much an ideological change at the absolute hearts of voters or political operatives as much as it is just the way that they always shift during um, opposition versus being on the rise. No, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying there was a change. I'm saying uh, the shift that you've seen maybe more so on the online right and among some of the talking heads and politicians towards populist nationalism, right, uh, is where a lot of the American populace, or at least the American right populace, has been all along. Like they, that, That's why Trump had such big appeal in the first place is because they were already there uh, for so long. Like even when you look at, uh, you know, past support for, like they, they like a strong man, just like in a lot of other, uh, you know, like these European countries where they elect the strong man. It, it, the, the policies themselves are not even that important. A lot of it's just sort of the optics. Of yeah. Like, I think it's mostly rhetoric, honestly. Yeah. You talk to people, yeah. you know, at events all the time and, and you always ask them like, Hey, you know, do you like Donald Trump? Like why? And then you always follow up with like, well, tell me about the policies that that happened. And they, the thing I think I hear the most when you're talking to voters about their perceptions of Donald Trump and policies, they talk about like reinvigorating the military as if there was like legislation that reinvigorated the military so much as like vocal verbal support 
for the military, for police, like doing things that just show I am with these people. But there's not ever really a policy that can be attached to the things that people are talking about. It's it's a sentiment and an energy. Well, in Trump's actual policies, if you set aside trade and immigration as two notable important exceptions, a lot of it was pretty boilerplate, free market, libertarian ask, you know, tax cuts, deregulation. And people still supported him, these populist leaning voters just as much. And I think it had much more to do with the fact that they believe he fought for them. He pushed for them. He battled the establishment, the swamp, right? And whether you believe he did or he didn't, that was obviously integral, which actually makes me wonder, one of the big things where he shook things up is on the matter of foreign policy, saying no to forever wars, no to invading the entire Middle East, goodbye, Bill Crystal, goodbye, neoconservatism. The kind of next generation, this populist right, is it keeping that kind of more restrained foreign policy as central to its identity? Or is it returning to kind of like Bush era conservative foreign policy thought? Yeah, I don't think the uh, the populist has ever really been a sort of like neocon populist. This There's a lot of appeal to not having this expansionist foreign policy. So uh, I think the majority of the American population's against that so in in interest of like protecting kind of your your anonymity doing your channel and stuff online can you tell people a little bit about like your background like what you're interested in why you started the channel because i really respect the just like the t-shirt line that you have right with the channel it's not republican not democrat i am pro nuance uh that is a valuable thing i i imagine that that resonates with a lot of people i think most people view themselves through that lens. They think of themselves as being able to see both sides, but they eventually end up picking one of the lesser evils. Um, kind of what's your thinking and why did you want to start this channel and, and go out on this? Yeah, to that, to that point, I think that's why you're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, popular support for channels like, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast or, uh, even like Crystal and Sagar's program, uh, where it's not so like partisan, if that makes sense. It's not like the CNN we're on this side or MSNBC or in CNN's case, they pretend they're not on a side, but they obviously are. And then Fox news being on their side, people are kind of looking for, you know, conversations and nuance and things like that. They don't want to just be pandered to all the time. Uh, As far as how I started, you know, I was seeing people cover events and things like that kind of for their partisan ends. Like, Oh, like the libs got owned or conservatives, they look stupid. And I, I really just wanted to talk to people and actually get what, their opinions are on things and see what the actual state of affairs and you're, was on. And you're really think, respectful yes. of, of people and the things that they're telling you. Like you don't, you know, mock people to their faces when you're speaking to them, even when they say kind of just wild, <laughs> wild things. And like that takes a very particular kind of person to not feel like every person that they speak to needs to be confronted. Instead, just let people speak for themselves. Like I really admire that about you. Like we need more people out there who are just listening to what everyday people are saying and then trying to shape the politics around that as best they can. Yeah, I try to be as respectful and receptive and open-minded as possible. But I mean, sometimes people are going to say crazy things and people ask, how do you not just straight up laugh when you're doing this? This lady was telling me like (laughs) votes were pinged into space and Trump put a big satellite up there to catch all the votes. So he's coming back at the end of August. And I'm like, what what do I say to that? I don't don't know what to say. (laughs) And you you always take these people like at face value like that this is they really do believe this votes were like sent up into space intercepted and then sent back down and biden won yeah, i mean i haven't haven't we all had like conspiratorial phases i don't, I don't know <laughs> i i remember i believe in some crazy things 
point. Do you ever have people recognize you and just troll you by giving you like incredibly outlandish responses? I actually haven't ever had that. I mean, people recognize you, but they've never used it to be like, oh, I'm just going to try to say crazy things or something like that. What have you learned about people that you wouldn't have known before that you kind of figured out just by going up and talking to tons of different people? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, just so many people are just there because they want to be part of something. They're, they're angry. They want an explanation and they don't actually like if they've obviously they have a lot of them haven't sat down and asked themselves like, why do I really believe this? Like, is there any, is there any legitimacy to what the opposition's saying? Uh, is there any merit to what they believe? There's not a lot of, you know, not, not a lot of uh, introspection in that sense. Yeah, political movements are characterized by people who think the world is crazy, think that things are unfair, and all the explanations that are the most obvious and, and usually fact-based explanations for why the world is sometimes a nasty and unfair place, they just don't make sense because you just wonder, like, can't these things be fixed? Can't politicians just solve problems? And sometimes, no, they really can't. Well, and people drift off then towards the most <laughs> the most outlandish explanations because you can connect enough dots. Like, like votes in space. Conspiracy theories make sense to a certain degree because you can connect enough disjointed dots to make everything about life that doesn't make sense make some kind of sense. I also imagine, though, that these events, like whether it's CPAC or it's a liberal conference or it's a rally or a protest, they must self-select for like very politically active people who tend to be more extreme. Do you think like these are not your typical? Have you noticed a difference when you're surveying people who are at one of these political events versus if you just surveyed random people in a mall? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, these people are a lot more politically engaged and obsessed. The average person is not. uh, I mean, the average person couldn't tell you who the Speaker of the House is. These people like obsess over like Nancy Pelosi or whatever, you know, or for good or for worse, like on the left or the right. They're like, oh, my God, you know, like, like, look at all this, like standing over Jen Psaki on some of these like leftist Twitter circles. It's it's insane. Most people don't know who Jen Psaki is. (laughs) Yeah, most people don't know who Jen Psaki is. She's yeah, the uh, White House press secretary. It's like, a, it's like an course. alcoholic drink or something. Like a well, she's she's a mainstream figure, and like I, I want to talk a little bit about fringe figures here uh, because you have some stories from the road and, and kind of particularly going back to um, uh, CPAC here in Dallas. So, fringe figure, could you recap a little bit of your exchange with Matt Schlapp, the chairman of CPAC, as it regards uh, Nick Fuentes. He's an online alt-right. I think you can safely call him a neo-Nazi figure and YouTuber. He's off YouTube now, right? Where the heck does he even do this stuff? I don't know. You talked to Matt Schlapp about uh, this Fuentes kid who sometimes trolls the CPAC conferences. Was your takeaway from that that someone like him is actually welcome to speak at CPAC and that Matt Schlapp doesn't have a strong opinion about it? Uh, I think he understands that the theme, so the theme of CPAC, uh, was this theme uncanceled. So they always have these themes every year. Uh, I think one of them was like America, <laughs> America, America uncanceled. So <laughs> yeah, this time it was America uncanceled. So, you know, there weren't a lot of people other than the president of the United States at that conference who were actually like canceled people. Uh, so, you know, if you bring up Fuentes, who is historically someone who's been prevented pretty much, you know, been trespassed at CPAC and things like that, uh, you know, you bring him up and say, hey, if this is America uncanceled, can this person, I'm not saying he has to speak on the stage or anything, but is he allowed to attend the event? And 
he didn't really want to answer the question. He would say things like, well, anyone can buy a ticket. Uh, did he try to buy a ticket? I don't know. I'd have to check. Like, he knows. He knows, like, they, they have security protocol organized over this person if he shows up. But he didn't want to answer the question because there's an obvious, uh, it doesn't and look so Did good. he show up? He did. He did show up. He walked through, like, the main lobby area, not areas that you needed to have credentials to get into, but... Um, yeah, he walked in for a bit, and I, I was—I I wish I was there to film it, maybe ask some questions, but I was getting dinner at the time, so. <laughs> well, what is your operating theory of of match laps like coyness about that subject? Is it is it the hypocrisy thing that he just kind of doesn't want to stumble into, like talking about who's welcome and who's not, even if he knows like this person is probably an easy person to throw into the bus? Um, I mean, what's your view of that, and and why he sort of dodged that entire question? Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with the hypocrisy of, you know, oh, our theme is America uncanceled. We're not going to let the left tell us, like, who we can have on stage. We're, you know, we're, we're open to all, like, we're a big tent party, but, you know, we won't let this guy attend who we've literally kicked out multiple times on multiple years. And, uh, you know, I, I, he doesn't want to answer the question because if he does, there maybe some donors wouldn't be too happy if he was allowed. Are they saying, like, oh... You know, if you allow this person to the event, are you kind of endorsing his views? Things like that. So Fuentes is stirring up trouble across the South because he also pops up in this story from Florida over the weekend uh, involving TPUSA. So this is Charlie Kirk's organization, Turning Point USA. They had their student action summit down in Orlando. Yeah, down in Orlando. Um, Say what? Tampa. Oh, it was in Tampa. Okay. So they stumbled into a situation with uh, adult film actress, porn star Brandy Love, attending the conference on a VIP pass. And so much blowback began at the conference to her being in attendance after Nick Fuentes and his groipers online started stirring up awareness that there was a porn star at this student action conference for TPUSA, which resulted eventually in Love's VIP pass being revoked. And as I understand it, her being removed from the conference, not welcome to uh, be inside anymore. Um, Surprising? What's everybody's take on this story? Because this, for me, is a, a couple different layers of ironic for a conservative conference to deal with. And, and also, like, it's, like, very Trumpy, but also very not Trumpy at the same time. And I kind of want to get into it. Brad, did you have a read on it? Yeah, honestly, I'm not the biggest fan of TPUSA in the world, but I am inclined to give them a little bit of, you know, grace or benefit of the doubt here. It seems reasonable enough to me that they would ask this person to leave because the Student Action Summit is for high school students as well. This isn't like CPAC or an adult conference that I would say, what's the harm? This had 15, 16, and 17-year-olds whose parents had entrusted them to TPUSA's care for the weekend. And so I can see why they wouldn't want to have a porn star there. I think that's fair enough. And people are saying, well, she wasn't going there to do porn. Of course not. But like she was going there to promote her brand as like the conservative porn star or something that was even in her, she was using her stage name or whatever you call it uh, in terms of her VIP pass. So I don't have anything necessarily against her. And generally I would say take a big 10 approach to these kind of conferences, but because it's a minors conference, I think what they did seems pretty reasonable to me, honestly. What's your read on it? I think this requires some nuance. (laughs) 
Uh, I'm inclined to agree with Brad. I mean, this is a, a summit for students, high school students. And if people are taking pictures with her, I mean, it's basically to say, hey, I like your work. <laughs> That's why I'm taking <laughs> So uh, probably not the best look to, to have her around. What do we know about like her being there to promote her brand? Like I, I get that she signed up, I guess, Brandy Love. So that's her, her stage name that she goes under. Um, the awareness uh, of her being there was brought on by Fuentes online. And then it kind of stirred out. It got out of control on site, which was eventually resulted in her being removed. The part about this that I don't understand is the invite part about whether or not she was specifically invited to be there as a VIP, or if she applied for a VIP adult pass, which anybody can do if you are an adult and want to go to TPUSA's conference, and then it has to get approved. And that's the part of this that I don't get. Have y'all seen any details on that or have it past experiences with these conferences to know like how approvals for like a VIP invite even work? Yeah, I can take that. Um, yeah. So Elijah Schaefer, who's a host at The Blaze, he published uh, info saying that she was not invited. She, I guess, purchased those VIP tickets. So she was not an invited guest. Uh, she purchased a VIP pass. And then after you know the shaming online, they subsequently revoked it or whatever. See, I think this is, if, if that is the case, and that kind of pushes me a bit in the other direction on this, because I think it is one thing to invite, reach out to like, you know, a, an online conservative influencer and a porn star to attend the conference. And I don't know, like, you know, again, like take pictures with the kids, which would be incredibly weird and creepy. But as an adult to go there, you are excited about the conference. You're excited about the speakers. Adults are welcome. You apply, you purchase a VIP pass and you go and you are dressed appropriately. You are there professionally. I mean, how do you start like drawing lines in the sand on what people do for their jobs on whether or not they can attend the conference? But she was going in the capacity of her be her brand being the conservative porn star. She has no involvement in politics outside of that. Well, that's like her Twitter info line. She is the conservative porn star. But is that on her name badge? Brandy Love is her porn name. I know Brandy Love is the her porn name. name <laughs> but like walking around the conference, like does that immediately say I am a porn star? Take a picture with me. I don't know. I think they have a responsibility. This is to cultivate an environment that is age appropriate for the teenagers put in their care. And I just don't think there's, yeah, I, I don't see anything really that wrong with it. Obviously, they're going to allow some people, not allow some people. It's a private event. The thing I find very funny is that all of the Groypers and Nick Fuentes and these people claim to be like the rad trads, the radical traditionalists, yet they all immediately recognized the porn star. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> yep. You can't, you can't ignore that one. I'm sorry, uh, bro, you're going to say something? No, no, no. No, no. So I, this, I think this, like this, the debate that this has kicked up online has just been like, I mean, just like rank and file conservatives and also trads like arguing about whether or not you could be conservative and a porn star. It's also a Trump thing, though, because the really Trumpy people like John Cardillo from Newsmax, for example, they were like, we don't care anybody who is down to put America first. They're almost because Trump was obviously not a, a gem of social conservatism himself, right? Like th married three times, an adulterer. He loved porn stars. And so you have that split between people who are trying to claim the mantle of the right for like really aggressive social conservatism again. And yet these Trump people who didn't really care about a lot of that, many of them. So they'd be fine with a conservative porn star. Whereas you're like trad trads, they're obviously going to object to that. 
Yeah, I mean, like, Sorab Amari was on stage, and, like, Sorab Amari, um, uh, very kind of, what would be the word to describe him? Authoritarian. <laughs> a very authoritarian Catholic writer for, uh, for the New York Post. He, uh, I mean, he was like, yeah, it's the right thing to, to do to remove this person and, and kick him out. I mean, I kind of want to know, and, and it's a little bit different because he's Catholic, like, would Brandy Love be able to go to church and sit in a back row pew? Obviously, if you're a Catholic, you can't take communion, right? But if there are families at church right? There are families, there are children at church. Can Brandy Love decide to go to church and sit down and be there for a sermon? Obviously, she could. I don't think there would be many churches in America, at least mainstream churches, that would kick her out for trying to go to church and get right with God. But you can't go to a conservative conference because of Christian values. I kind of reject that. You're there for a whole host of reasons to go to a conservative conference, including who you are against. Last time I checked, this movement was incredibly riled up about America being in decline, the left is going to take over, destroy our institutions, and Tifa is going to be running the Capitol by tomorrow. Like, I thought we were in a crisis. Therefore, you need everybody to the table to stand up against those people. But then again, it comes down to the cultural decline thing. These people are also concerned about the culture, so therefore she's the easy fall person there. But remember, it's a conservative conference for children. It's for yeah, that's the high thing. school it's under a teens conference. I, f I feel like that is a easy to throw up defense when we've all seen or been to these conferences before, and there are kids in attendance, and then there are also just a ton of adults. Right. And I, also, TPUSA's <laughs> conferences are notorious party zones, right? Even for the, the teenagers. So there is uh, some hypocrisy there. What this whole saga really tells me is that TPUSA has absolutely no ideology or identity as an organization. If they're putting up Kat Timph, who's totally libertarian, cool girl, right? And then people like Sarab Omari, who want to be like status, populist, nationalist, social conservative. Basically, they're just totally incoherent and mixed as an organization who I, what they're, they're promoting these speakers and ideas and claiming some sort of unity or movement. But these people are, are totally ideological, ideologically disparate. They're in direct conflict. So it is interesting that they're citing principle to remove the porn star when they're clearly, I mean, they claim to be socially conservative sometimes, but then also at TPUSA events, they have like really scantily clad women like shooting objects into the crowd, right? So it's just such an incoherent organization. And I think that's what well, made they, this. That whole happen. thing about Trumpism, like the, the part of the Trump thing was like, you need to stop being such beltway prudes and get right with barstool conservatism. And I think what Brandy Love uh, called kid rock conservatism, which like, huh. it's, it's a thing. Like this yeah. is, this is part of that idea. And the Trump thing was about America being in decline, which is like winking and nodding at certain elements of morality, but also ethnic stuff and the economy, like everything. But then if you're going to do that and also say like, look, you just need to accept that the guy might not be the most buttoned up Christian in the world because we're fighting to defend Western civilization here. The, the two things, again, they don't make sense and jive together. Yeah, despite being a non profit tpusa kind of does operate like a business and they want to be able to put up numbers like oh we had x amount of students sign up for this and that college chapters etc so they want to grow as quickly as possible and they do that by kind of appealing to all different sides of the conservative spectrum or right wing or whatever you want to call it spectrum uh and you know you even saw this was charlie kirk himself how he used to have you know certain opinions about immigration and h1b visas and, and free trade like that, and he's yeah, he basically completely changed on that uh, post-pandemic. 
So you just uh, fled California, right? You resettled in Texas. What uh, what made you leave? I mean, isn't it obvious? <laughs> a lot of people have <laughs> made this move. Uh, I mean, I was born and raised in San Francisco. It's kind of like a dystopian hellhole at this point. I mean, if you look at the overdose numbers there, I mean, it was almost triple the number of COVID deaths in the city of San Francisco overdoses. Um, overdose deaths and you'd see just homelessness, drug needles, human feces on the street. Uh, the crime is just crazy. We have a district attorney, Chesa Boudin, whose parents are like literal terrorists. His dad is still in life. And well, prison. they're underground. This right? guy's like a crazy. Communist. It's a, uh, it's a disaster. Well, tell tell us a little bit about, about Boudin then, because um, I, I watched your, your video on your channel kind of breaking down the, the theft and robbery situation involving CVSs and Walgreens, just these places being just looted and, and emptied out by people doing um, small thefts. And it's actually like somewhat organized as, as far as crime goes. Um, and Chesa Boudin, like you said, the, the son of two weather underground terrorists from a couple of decades ago, one of them still in prison, one is out. This guy has completely upended the way that justice has handled San Francisco as far as you see it. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't I don't think he's prosecuted successfully a single homicide in the city. Um, he fired all of the many of the top career prosecutors in the city that you know had expertise in like gang uh, stuff, and it, it it's just been a disaster. He's putting in like defense attorneys, people who haven't really had any experience pr- prosecuting cases. And well, Boudin, yeah, Boudin says video. that he can't prosecute uh, anybody for these cases if police are only bringing in ten percent. Of, uh, of crimes that are actually committed, which, I mean, there's something to be said for that. Uh, just the incredibly low arrest rate for San Francisco PD. Yeah, I mean, but they've also had a lot of police attrition. Their police, I mean, when you look at the number of officers per capita in a city like San Francisco, they're extremely understaffed, morale super low. They're transferring out of the police department at record rates. So it's just a disaster all around. So how, do you, how do you fix this? You have to change the the culture around, you know, this this idea that, oh, we can just have, be as progressive as possible on every single issue and not recognize crime for what it is. Like, this is not something where, oh, we could take a hippy-dippy approach all the time and it always works. Restorative justice, as they like to talk about it. No. Like, how, how bad does San Francisco have to get before, like, liberal Californians who live there will actually realize that? Or are people just going to leave? Well, we'll hopefully see it with uh, this effort to recall Chesa Boudin. So if that happens, maybe that's a positive sign. I, I don't think his approval numbers are too good in San Francisco, even though he won the election. Am I right that Chesa Boudin was the translator at some point for Hugo Chavez in Venezuela? <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, that's what I've heard. Yeah. The, yeah. Guy, the guy did a stint at some point serving as the English translator, English Spanish translator for Hugo Chavez. And this is the DA, the Honorable DA of San Francisco. Now, the guy, I mean, there's a suit and he looks nice. Uh, the, he, uh, the, the policies that you're talking about, like one of them is eliminating cash bail, right? So this is a little bit tied to one, just like making sure that more people can afford to actually pay their way out so that you don't have a two-tiered system so that only people with access to cash are the ones who are able to get out for petty or for large offenses. And then you've got, I think what is often called like catch and grab or catch and release uh, policing where you're not holding people 
uh, until their trial. So you arrest people, you charge them, and then you let them go to show up to their trial. And these people then sometimes get into trouble when they are released back out into the public after they've been arrested for something. Are those the kind of things that you view as hippy-dippy and, and are not worth pursuing? Um, so a lot of things like you know getting rid of cash bail, for example, it really depends. I mean, because then they go to a risk-based assessment, but it really, it's like, okay, well, how risk-based are you going? Because, you know, to to be somewhat fair to Chesa Boudin, there's cases where I guess his office has claimed they've asked for a suspect to not be released back into the public, but then the judge is the one that overturns it. And then that person goes on to like kill people and, you know, or do some crazy uh, violent act. So it, it's, there's, there's a, you know, there's some responsibility blame to go around and the judges are also a problem in the city. Yeah, one of the primary metrics that people start going back and forth with as it involves San Francisco is whether or not we're talking about property-related crimes versus homicides. And it is homicides and violent crime that are, in fact, down in San Francisco from Chesa Boudin's predecessor, um, whose name is escaping me at the moment, but if it's the property crimes that are up like 30 well they also decriminalized it or they made it a misdemeanor to steal up to 950 dollars right i mean yeah what do you expect well that's california yeah that's state that's statewide but in places like san francisco it's particularly taking an extreme effect you have big chains like walgreens piecing out leaving the city they're like or or reducing their store hours because I mean, people just steal things and there's very little enforcement of it. And it's just a misdemeanor. doesn't really get enforced. And that's the kind of thing where I think the progressives just totally destroy what we need in a criminal justice system. I'm much more sympathetic to things like eliminating cash bail because, I mean, a rich person and a poor person commit the same crime. Why should one get to go home and await trial and the other one be stuck in jail? What did you find in your, your research and the video that you were producing on that, on the impact of the raising of that of that threshold or the lowering of that threshold to like the 950 worth of goods. Is that something that has had the same impact everywhere else it's been tried? Sure. So, I mean, as, as you saw, because you saw the video, they've, yeah. they've done this in other states. It didn't result in any sort of meaningful increase in uh, crime. And like I said, this was a statewide measure. Right? Yeah, South Carolina is an example where it didn't do anything crazy. But, uh, you know, this was a statewide measure at, Prop 47, I think it was, where it was statewide, but a lot of these disparate effects are felt in uh, San Francisco, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, yeah. Now, I, I struggle with this whole issue because I've, I've kind of come up um, in politics and media as a criminal justice reformer. I, I really want to see the policies changed. I want to see the federal government re-approach the way it does sentencing, like all that good stuff. Um, but we are in this moment post-pandemic, and it started during the pandemic, of crime going back up. It has raised, uh, risen nationally at least 3% in the past year. Um, homicide rates are skyrocketing here in Washington, D.C. Um, it has gotten to be much more violent than it was three years ago. Uh, I think right now, right now in D.C., the homicide rate has climbed for three consecutive years, and just since 2020, the summer, so in the past year, it shot up another 38% in terms of violent crime here. And this is the exact reason why criminal justice reform on the small stuff, the nonviolent offenses, is so hard to sell to people. Because people are not sitting around concerned necessarily about nonviolent offenders. They're just concerned about crime as a catch-all. 
homicides are the ones that go reported every time they happen. Therefore, it's the only thing on people's minds. Yeah, I get it. But it shouldn't be that hard to have a reasonable kind of reform middle ground where you're saying crack down on violent crime, protect property rights, but stop throwing people in jail over marijuana, right? Stop set uh, these absurd mandatory minimum sentences for drug possession, right? I, I feel like we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And we should. I, I agree the messaging and that's mostly due to these progressive prosecutors, right? Not libertarian criminal justice people, but the messaging has been horrible, but it shouldn't be that hard to, to really separate the two things in my view. Well, I mean, one of the guys who came out to defend uh, Chesa Boudin, Radley Balco, uh, he's now at the Washington Post. I think he used to be at Cato. So he was a libertarian no, guy. He, but he's reason. gone far left. I mean, he's gone totally to the liberal side since he went to the Washington Post. Oh, no. He's still team, very good at criminal justice, Balco? but no, he's just extremely sympathetic to Democrats and left wing positions now. So I get that maybe he would be down with that, but that's not the way to sell it. If you sell criminal justice reform as a far left thing rather than as kind of a middle ground compromise of sensible solutions, you're not going to convince anybody. Mm. want to give you the final word, man. I know this is a, an issue that you care a lot about. Yeah, so um, I had to correct you on like the homicide uh, in San Francisco, for example. Um, I, I think it might have gone down in 2020 a little bit, but 2021, you look at year to date, I mean, it's up. Uh, a okay. lot of this, they lie with the statistics because during the pandemic, I mean, traffic was down significantly in a city like San Francisco, which already has a small population, but they have a lot of through traffic, through commuters from out of the city coming in for work and tourism. And that was down probably like, you know, the population of the city on a day-to-day -day basis was probably down anywhere from 30 to 60%. So you have to take that into account when you look at uh, the crime numbers as well. Why, why is that an important part of the crime numbers? I'm, I'm not really familiar why, why through traffic sort of is, is fixed into the way that you should think about the crime numbers in the city. Sure, because we look at crime on a per capita basis and the opportunity to commit crimes and things like that. Tourists are often some of the biggest victims of crime yes. in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and they're more likely to report because they're not from San Francisco. Natives are like, the police are not going to do anything yeah. about my car breaking or whatever. Whereas tourists, they're going to report that all day because they're from Kansas. They're like, wow, well, nobody breaks into my car back home. So that's things are thing. Things are bleak. Things Don't are move bleak. to San Francisco. That's my takeaway. <laughs> it's a it's a good time to get out into the mountains. I'm headed to Montana and I'm never coming back. Uh, all right, we like to try to talk about some good news just to wrap things up. Um, so if everybody got something good that is on your mind today, I'll start us off. I will say that I am super excited about what I saw this morning on the way into studio uh, with Blue Origins launching past that line uh, out actually into space with Jeff Bezos. That was so cool. I have never sat down at least in 10 years to like watch some of these launches into space. I, I guess I'm not incredibly interested uh, with some of the missions to the, um, uh, to the space station. And I've not been super interested in SpaceX sending out, you know, robots and rovers to Mars, but just the idea that like these regular people could board this Blue Origins shuttle and go into zero gravity space and come back. And the whole thing landed, the, in, the, the entire capsule, the landing gear, it was straight up sci-fi and it made me so momentarily optimistic about the future. 
I just, again, you just got to get away from the, the dystopian stuff on earth and then I will be excited about the future again. So yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. So for me, I went to my first in-person concert Friday night. Uh, and it was just, it was kind of surreal, honestly, to be like, you got to so, tell us who you saw. Oh, so Grace and Chance, he's like a smaller indie artist, but there's like 400 people there, right? But there's no masks. Everybody's like packed into one, um, I guess you call it a club, right? And it's just like, wow, this is actually over. <laughs> Things are actually normal again. And almost everybody there was their first show since the pandemic. And it was just like a, a sign of life at long last. The UK just passed a measure uh, for vaccine passports for oh, clubs God. and shows. The vaccine passport thing is on the move and it's going to uh, it's going to find its way here. Just you wait. I'm going to spoil your good news. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> All right. You're doing anything on your mind. Yeah, I mean, I just got back from Vegas, so that's if I look tired, it's because I didn't sleep at all. I just I got back pretty late last night, but I was up uh, a few few hundred from gambling, and I didn't lose, so that's <laughs> <laughs> you are still whole. That is wonderful news. Good on you. All right, that's it this week on Right Now. Thank you for watching, listening, subscribing. Remember to check out our shiny new newsletter, Unfettered, linked below this episode on your podcast or on YouTube, uh, and do be sure to welcome gothics to the right now fam uh, her first video for the cancel this series is up on the channel now and remember always ask why stay out of line and be a bug in the system we'll see you next week